We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and Michael J. Fauci. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joined as always by the one and only, the great Michael J. Fauci. Fauci, another coach added to the Pacers finalist list. Now we got about 10 finalists. Seems like a little bit too much. Finalist? It feels like the quarterfinals. I mean, <laughs> are you really a finalist if you make it past round one? Like... <laughs> You know, there's just so many names going on. It's hard to really narrow down to just one name until the NBA Finals are done. Clearly, the Miami Heat assistant coaches have to at least be taken seriously. So I think that's part of the reason why it's taken so long. I will, I will say this. As far as, it, as far as the coaching search goes, I have no idea what's going on. So everybody that keeps messaging me every day when there's a new report asking me questions, I don't have answers. I, I mean, I'm seeing the same things you guys are seeing. But I will say this, I did get a text earlier today from one of the insiders, uh, and, and he texted me and said, look, he said, this coaching search is a lot of misdirection. I think agents are really pushing their names, uh, the, their their coaching candidates' names out there, their clients' names, trying to get their names in the conversation. So n- there's a lot of names out there, but there's only so many coaching jobs. So it's interesting, but hey, I, I'm, I'm just excited that the Pacers are going to be heading in a new direction, but it's It'll it'll happen when it happens. I mean, I'm I'm kind of over talking about it. I, it's been crazy, Fudge. <laughs> so am I. The one thing that's interesting is Pacers have been eliminated from you know playoff basketball for you know a good month and a half now at this point. Yet the team keeps coming up in the headlines. I'm not used to hearing the Pacers being talked about this much. I just wish it was something positive. Yeah, and I tell you what, it was so funny. I'm watching my Cardinals lose game three of the wild card series versus the Padres. And it would just get me so excited because every time I'd see on the ESPN ticker, it would say Pacers coaching. And I'm like, what, what just happened? And it would just be the same thing every, maybe like three minutes, an update on the Pacers coaching search from Woj's report early Friday morning. Cause so it was a bit of a disappointment, but you know, I think people are just tired of waiting Fudge, And I, I'm kind of at that point too. I'm ready just to find out who the next coach is going to be. So am I. It's been dragged on. I mean, we saw Philly move on from Brett Brown pretty quickly. I mean, it seems like forever ago that the Knicks hired Tibbs. I mean, that was that might have been back in man, maybe June, July. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is really – I mean, Nate McMillan's been gone from the Pacers for a month and a half. So that's how long it's really been. But at, at the end of the day, I would prefer that they do all of their due diligence rather than just kind of go with a big name and move on. Right. So I, I know that I'm tired of talking about coaches, but I do want to say that today – um, later on in the podcast, in our last segment, we're going to be joined by Locked On Rockets host Jackson Gatlin to to talk a little bit about Mike D'Antoni and what the Pacers' offense would look like with with Mike as the head coach. And we'll also get into some you know different trade ideas that he has. Um, some sur- surrounded by Miles Turner. So, uh, speaking of which, that is what our podcast is going to be about today. Five show. Let the listeners know what we're going to be doing today. So we got some, you know, it is trade season uh, among us. I mean, like I said, you know, there is no Pacer basketball going on, but the news never stops. And one thing in the news has been the talk of maybe Miles Turner also wanting out, not just Victor Oladipo. So, you know, last time Alex and I got together, we went through a whole bunch of trade scenarios for Victor Oladipo, and we thought we'd do the same for Miles Turner. Now, guys, this is not to say that we want Miles Turner off the team by any means. It's just a fun way to see what other ways the Pacers can potentially get better. So why not go through the trade market? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's – it's J. Michael came out on 1070 The Fan last week, and I think he said it's like a 20% chance that he expects – Miles Turner to be on this roster next year. And he also said that Turner does not expect to be here. So if that's the case, you know, I think that it's okay to look at trades. And and I know that, you know, I think that they need to pick between him and Sabonis. And I think Sabonis is the person they should pick. But yeah, it was interesting today. I sent you a trade, Fachi. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Wasserman from Bleacher Report had, had did a mock draft today. And it was funny because we're talking, we're talking about trade ideas with Miles Turner and, I think he kind of hit a home run here uh, with this trade idea, and it gave the Pacers the number two overall pick from Golden State for Miles Turner, and it gave the Atlanta Hawks Andrew Wiggins and the 2021 Minnesota first-round pick. So it was an interesting trade. The Pacers basically just give up Miles Turner for the number two pick and don't have to take any bad salaries back. And, I mean, if the Pacers could pull that off, that would be a miracle. Yeah, and also in that trade, just to provide a little bit more context, the Warriors end up getting the sixth overall pick. And right. I think, was there anyone else involved in this? No. I don't, was, I don't think so. I think they yeah. just slide down from to, from two to six, but they unload the Wiggins contract. So it's a win-win all around. Now, the, the first second I saw that, I, I looked to see if it was if it had any real legs to it. Because I love that trade. I, and I saw other people on Twitter love the trade too. Yeah, it's a Bleacher Report trade, but at the same point, it's actually pretty logical. The yeah. Hawks are going to have amongst the most cap in the league. I don't know. I don't see them as a premier destination for any big name free agents. If they can, you know, tap into Wiggins, who's still young, I believe he's like 24 years old. Um, you know, you're looking at getting Wiggins, and they get that Minnesota pick for next year. While the Pacers, they don't take back anyone. They give up Miles Turner, and they get the number two pick. I mean, this team, I mean, the Pacers have been dying to have a a draft pick that they could really sink their teeth into for a while. The last one was really, you know, it was Miles Turner at 11. You Mm -hmm. had Paul George at 10. The Pacers are not known to be picking in the top five, let alone the second overall pick. Sure, it's not the greatest draft, but come on, that, that would get people excited 
knowing that you're not taking back a bad contract, but you're also getting a super talented young player. Alex, I'm not going to lie. I'm in on that. Yeah, Anthony Edwards is the steal of the draft, and I think Minnesota is going to be dumb enough to take LaMelo Ball first. And I, I don't I don't know what LaMelo Ball is going to be. He might be a really good basketball player in the NBA, uh, but he does not fit the Pacers' culture whatsoever. I cannot see LaMelo Ball really no. blossoming as a Pacer. I just don't feel like his personality would would sink and gel well with this Pacers' core. But I do think who, the, who they had on Bleacher Report going to the Pacers, Anthony Edwards – Makes a ton of sense. I mean, a freshman from Georgia, uh, you know, we just drafted Gogo from Georgia the country. Anthony Edwards is, is from Georgia the school. So it would it would be falling right in line there with the Pacers going back-to-back picks from Georgia. But, yeah, Fachi, I mean, I was – the only thing I don't think would happen is I don't think Atlanta would do this trade because I don't think – I mean, Andrew Wiggins, yes, he's 24, but that eats up pretty much all of their cap space to make any kind of trade. So, personally, I think, hey, you know what they could do – is they, they could unload maybe one of their bad contracts that they have off on the Pacers to give them a little bit more room, even if it's like Clint Capella, which isn't really a bad contract, but you know it, it kind of goes back to the same problem. Like He probably doesn't want to be sitting on the bench behind Sabonis, but I, I would be willing to do whatever I had to to get that number two overall pick and you know, <laughs> you know know not have to take on the Wiggins contract. No, definitely. I mean, for a while, Atlanta was just the dumping ground of the NBA. I mean, you got to remember, they absorbed Carmelo Anthony's like $27 million contract. They absorbed Chandler Parsons' huge contract. I think at this point, they're probably looking to finally, you know, start to win. They have a lot of young players there. So I don't think that they would just take Wiggins' contract. Um, I, I think that they would have to be giving someone back. And, and that's when you expect Indiana to take on someone. You typically don't just get the number two overall pick for Miles Turner. You know, that's like a <laughs> fantasy for, for Pacer fans. But at the same point, if it came down to that, I would be willing to take on a contract. I'd have to take a look at their books, see who they'd be willing to offer. But for Golden State, Miles Turner would be a perfect fit there. Yeah. I mean, it's just another guy that can shoot threes over there. A guy who could defend the rim. I mean, him playing next to Draymond defensively, I feel like that gives them a big advantage. And then obviously, you know, in the past they've tried, like, you know, Boogie Cousins have been hurt. And there's just a lot of different guys they've had a revolving door at center where I feel like Miles Turner would fit that team really well. So I liked what I saw over there. You know, anytime you're playing with a three team deal, it always gets a bit fun, maybe a little unrealistic, but fun nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the payroll right now for the Atlanta Hawks. They only have $59 million on the books for next season. So they're currently at 114. They're going to drop all the way to 59. So that's like six, that's like $55 million that they're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, freeing up in cap space. Now, like I said, Clint Capello is 17 and a half million. So basically you'd get a fair swap if you traded Turner to the Warriors and took on Capello's contract, but I don't think they would do that. You could take on Dwayne Dedman's contract, $13 million for the next two years. I know that's a little bit pricey, but if you could put him as your backup or your third-string center, because Dwayne Dedman's actually pretty good. He's 31 years old. He can shoot the three a little bit. I think he's a very serviceable big man. Um, not somebody that I want to invest in like heavily, but like he's only got two years left on his deal, and that would give you another cap filler to make another trade. So, you know... Because it's not a lot of money. And if you wanted to package him with somebody else, you could get a trade done with that. So I would be okay with taking back Dwayne Dedman's contract and you know letting them keep Clint Capella, which would still give them about, if they ended up taking Wiggins, $25, 26000000 whatever it is, 
that would cut that in half if you took off if you took Dwayne Dedman off their hands. So that's why I think you could do something like that. But I mean, that is that's a pretty good that's a pretty good starting uh, starting ground there, Foch. I'd be okay with that. It is. I think the reason why they wouldn't trade Capella is because he had that injury and actually didn't even get to suit up for them. So I think the Hawks would want to at least see what Capella has there. Um, a guy like Dwayne Dedman, like sure, thirteen million dollars per year, a two-year deal. A guy who just did not fit in Sacramento at all. Atlanta took him back. He played really well over there. Uh, not really the rest of this year, but in previous years. So. I like uh, Deadman as a backup for Capella. I feel like for him to be a backup, that it could ruffle some feathers a bit, um, you know. But at the same point, I, I think it does make sense for for both teams. Atlanta giving back some contract kind of makes it more realistic because yeah. they are ready to try and at least compete for the eighth seed. Not that without a doubt, with all the young players they have. Right, right, right. So let's take a quick break so we can reset our conversation and jump into some of our fake Miles Turner trade ideas when we come back. All right, everybody, we are back. And, Fachi, we're going to throw out some Miles Turner trade ideas on this podcast. So we already threw out one from Bleacher Report. Now we're going to come up with our own. I'm going to let you do the honors and go first. Give me your first trade idea for Miles Turner. Sure. For my first trade idea, this is one where I, I feel like we've seen it around from time to time. But it involves a team that's uh, in a little bit of a limbo. We don't know where they're going to go because they have fired Mike D'Antoni. It's the Houston Rockets. And in this trade, it's going to be Miles Turner and TJ Leaf. You know TJ Leaf was going to find his way in a deal somewhere. All right. He's leaving town. He's packing his bags. He's going to Houston, and in return, the Pacers get Eric Gordon, a guy from Indiana. You know, there's always a tie to Indiana somewhere in a trade, and Robert Covington. Covington, in my mind, is a guy that the Pacers, he'd be perfect for the Pacers. Play the four, play the three. You know, we've obviously seen him in a small ball lineup. A great three and D guy. Eric Gordon, just a, a, a really good scorer off the bench. Plus, you never know what's going to happen with uh, Oladipo's situation. So you're getting a scorer off the bench. You're getting Covington, uh, just a tough, hard-nosed defender that uh, I think can just fit the team in many different ways. You're unloading the contract of Miles Turner, which, you know, is not bad, but it's, it's three years at $18 million per year. And TJ Leaf, you know, they take a flyer on because Houston's not going to have any, any picks for a while. So... What do you think of uh, the Gordon Covington for uh, Miles Turner and TJ Leaf swap? I like the players we're getting back, but I don't know if Houston does it. I mean, I could. I mean, Covington's going to be a huge part of their future, and I, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if Miles Turner is, you know, significantly more valuable to their team and how they play. I think a lot of it de- is determined, and I've talked about this before with who is hired as the coach. Because exactly, like, you know, I mean, if they go with a small ball lineup, like they might want to keep Covington at the four. Or even at the five with PJ Tucker there. I mean, but I mean Eric Gordon. I've always liked Eric Gordon. I think he'd be a great piece. He's a veteran from Indiana. You know, I don't really think that matters too much. I just like him as a player overall. Uh, you know, good at getting to the basket. Somebody I think that'd be really good for this team. And he wouldn't have to start either. He's okay playing that bench role as well. So that can kind of give your team a little bit more balance because we've talked about that. We need depth on this team to to win big. So. I like the trade. I just don't know if Houston would do it, but I mean, it's intriguing. I mean, Miles Turner, what is he, 23 years old? It appears a lot of teams like him. I think you could really get back, you know, a little bit more for him just because of the age. 
Mm-hmm. No, definitely. You, you could. Uh, the, the fact that Houston doesn't really have any, any picks coming up for a bit is uh, the the part where it's tough for them to really get creative. Maybe they could throw in like a second-round pick. It's not much. But Miles Turner is at least from Texas. I'm sure, you know, if he is going to move, you know, he wouldn't mind coming back home. TJ Leaf and Turner both still young enough, so that kind of helps offset the, the lack of draft picks. But a lot does depend on the coach because – it was Dan Tony's experiment with the small ball. P.J. Tucker, I thought, played really well with that. But a new coach coming in might not want to just inherit this small ball lineup or philosophy. And he might want a guy like Miles Turner over there. But, you know, hey, it, it, it could go either way. Yeah. So I'll give you my next one here, Foch. And I know fans probably will hate this trade because of who we're getting in, getting back. But I'm just trying to – There's it's really hard to find perfect Miles Turner trades out there. Just because I'm not sure what his value is, and I'm not sure you know how valuable the center position is. So with mine, I did a three-team trade here to start things off. It's between the Pacers, the Cavaliers, and the Sacramento Kings. And the Pacers are going to get Kevin Love from the Cavaliers, who's got a pretty big contract, but he's got three years left. He's still, you know, you know, he's relatively still in his prime. He's just in a bad on a bad team. But I like the fact that he can, you know, rebound the ball well and shoot the three well. He kind of can do what Turner does without, you know, the defensive rim protection. So there's the the liability there, and I'm not sure how great him and Sabonis would fit together. But it'd be interesting. But they're also going to get the number 12 overall pick from the Sacramento Kings for this year's draft. Now, the Sacramento Kings are going to get Miles Turner, and they're going to have to take on TJ Leaf's contract. So the Pacers basically get their first-round pick because they're giving them Miles Turner. Now, the Cavaliers, they're going to take Harrison Barnes back in this deal. They're going to get Doug McDermott in this deal, and they're also going to get, they're also going to get two uh, second-round picks from the Pacers. So I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, why would the Cavs do this? Maybe just because they want to unload Kevin Love's contract, and Harrison Barnes is about $10 million cheaper. But other than that, I don't know why they would do this deal, but I mean, it's enticing at least. It is enticing. So to get this right, the Pacers are giving up in the deal Miles Turner, uh, Doug McDermott, and TJ Leaf, and two second-round picks. Correct. Correct? So, okay, and they're walking out with uh, Kevin Love as well as the 12th overall pick. Correct. So I I like the deal, and I'll tell you why. That Kevin Love contract, when it was first inked, looked terrifying. It -hmm. did. But now... Unfortunately, that's going to become the going rate for All-Stars. I mean, for for any Pacer fans that are looking to bring in Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward's already making more now than Kevin Love is. So -hmm. if he's going to ink a new deal, it's going to be about the same thing. Like, you know, I mean, I think Gordon Hayward right now is at 32 to 34 million. So next year, Kevin Love will be on the books for 31 million per year. It actually goes down a little bit. Uh, Look, the contract is it's not pennies. It's not. But you're not luring a guy like Kevin Love to Indiana uh, through free agency. So the pairing of Kevin Love and DeMontis Sabonis, I'd be curious to see how it works out. But I do think that there, it makes the Pacers a pretty deep team across the like in, a, in terms of a starting lineup. You have a lot of options there, and I really, I really want to get my hands on a draft pick. Yeah, the 12th overall pick. I like that. It's not great, but it's not bad at all. Mm -hmm. You can get talent at 12. You reach at 18. And the Pacers have been picking right around that 18 mark. It feels like far too often. I mean, I think that's what TJ Leaf was. Um, I know that's what Goga was. And I believe that Aaron Holiday was a 20th overall pick. 
So at 12, you can find talent. Talent. It's lottery time. So lottery area. So I like the deal. I do. It, we would just have to know that with that Kevin Love contract, that's going to be looked at as the Pacers have about a three-year window where Sabonis is going to be signed, Kevin Love signed, Brogdon signed, where, and TJ Warren will have, I think, two years left on the deal, where it's go time. Yeah. So and, if they're prepared to win, then, then it's a good move. Yeah, I think he gets $31.2 million this year and next year, and then it goes down to $28 million yep. in his final season. So it's not like a terrible contract. And I tell you what, like I'll say this for a lot of guys that have heavy contracts. If if Kevin Love has value in this league. He's on a really bad Cleveland team. And, I mean, he was really good with LeBron James, and he got kind of knocked around because of his defense not being great. But I think Kevin Love is still well-respected. And Kevin Love is probably someone that is still coveted. So you might be able to flip Kevin Love, too, especially if he plays really well for the Pacers. Even if the Pacers aren't, like, winning a bunch of games or they're winning about the same rate they won last year, if Kevin Love's putting up, you know, 18-10 and 10 or 18-12, and 12, somebody might be, like, knocking on the door saying, hey, we'll trade you, uh, so we'll give you a pick and this person for, for Kevin Love as well. So, I mean, I think there's things you can do with it. And I've said this a lot recently, so I'm sorry. I keep saying the word staggering. But I really think you could stagger Kevin Love and Domas Sabonis' minutes where they're not on the court for you know the majority of the game, but they're separated where you always have one of them on the court. And I just think having elite-level passers like those two guys is huge for success. And offensively, it'd be a ton of fun. Without a doubt. Offensively is really where you're licking your chops. Those are two really good rebounders. Like you mentioned, both really good passers and Kevin Love, he, he's no slouch. I mean, obviously, we know he had to take a back seat to LeBron and Kyrie, but this is a guy who in Minnesota was putting up some huge numbers. I know it feels like a lifetime ago, but he's still coming off basically averaging almost 18 points per game last year. Yeah. So I feel like that is a, a player that makes the Pacers a very competitive team because let's be honest, they were not getting the production that you hoped for out of Turner and Sabonis. Yes, they had a positive you know, on-court rating this year. Uh, but Sabonis and Kevin Love together, uh, is it's you're going to see something there offensively. I agree, Fudge. All right, let's see your next trade. All right, so my next trade, um, let's see. So I got a couple. It's just a matter of where I want to go with this one. So to start with this one, it's going to involve the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, now, I have one of those Spurs too. Are, okay, now the Spurs are like a team in limbo right now. They're... Their 20-plus year run in the playoffs has ended. Uh, you don't know if Pop's going to be around for much longer, and they don't have a franchise player right now. Now, it's not – I mean, they have some guys. You obviously have DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, but who knows how much they really figure into their future plans. Now, in this trade, it's going to be Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb going over to San Antonio for LaMarcus Aldridge, who's going to have one year left on his deal. Keldon Johnson, a player who I don't know if many watched, but towards the end of the year, he was on fire in the bubble. Yeah. And either the Spurs' first-round pick or a lottery-protected pick. Interesting. Now, I think that they would love to get their hands on Miles Turner. I really do. Aldridge, they know he's moving on. Aldridge will be gone. I don't even think he finishes the year as a Spur uh, entering an expiring deal. So, with Aldridge, you know, you're talking about adding him to the Pacers to, to really get one crack at it. But Keldon Johnson, a young player out of Kentucky, 
who didn't quite get the shine in the beginning of the year, but really caught on after that five-month break. And the Pacers have an opportunity to use that first-round pick, whether it's this year or you know potentially next year. Yes. Thoughts on that? See, Keldon Johnson was somebody the Pacers were high on, too. And I thought about throwing him, throwing him in in one of my deals. But my biggest concern was, like, you know, if you throw Keldon Johnson, then you're probably not going to get that first-round pick back. You know, That's exactly what I thought. So it's kind of like an either-or type yeah, thing. Honestly, I think I'd rather have Keldon Johnson. I, I do, too. Pick. I don't I don't know how much San Antonio li- likes him, but I, I do think they're pretty high on him based on how he played in the bubble. So it would be kind of – I don't know if it would be impossible to get him for Miles. But I do think that it would be uh, hard for them to part ways with him because he looked really good. And they've got a really weird team right now. I don't think they have any sense of direction in which way they're going because they do have young talent. But it's not like they've got a, a core of guys that are like really like going to really carry this team going forward for a long time. Like I like a lot of the pieces they have, Derek White, um, uh, Lonnie Walker, those type of players. But it's like I don't see any star in that mix of players. So um, Keldon Johnson might be their best young guy. So it's like – would they be willing to part with them? I don't know. I, I, I'll throw out my counter Spurs Pacers trade, and this is strictly because I feel like the Pacers are going to want to get a shooting guard back and return it for Victor if he leaves. And, you know, if they decide to trade Victor and, and maybe get a power forward of some sort, they could try to go get a guard. And this would just literally to help them be competitive. I don't like this trade, but. The, the deal I was kind of looking at was DeMar DeRozan for Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. Um, so it's like I'm not the biggest DeRozan fan at all. I'm not the biggest LaMarcus fan either. The Spurs are a team I don't really like to trade with because I don't like what they can give you back. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. I'm out on DeRozan. I am just a guy who has actually just quit shooting the three. He just doesn't even do it anymore. A good A good player, make no mistake about it. But yeah. I also feel like that's the kind of guy that might not re-sign. I'm prepared where Aldridge probably leaves. There's talks that he, he would love to finish his career in Portland. But DeMar DeRozan, I wonder how the fit would be in Indiana when you're really trying to shoot more threes. So um, It depends on who they hired. If we, had McMillan, of course, of course. if we had McMillan still, he'd be the oh, perfect yeah. player. And, I, and I think he would resign definitely here. Just because, you know, who's going to want to pay DeRozan a ton of money? I don't think he's going to be demanding that much money at all. No, I don't. But, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's something about DeRozan where I wouldn't be surprised if he, not to say ring chases, but I I could see him trying to sign with a, you know, a title contender. And I obviously hope that we're a title contender, but I don't know. (laughs) I'm a little bit out on DeRozan. Yeah, I agree with you. Let me let me throw this one at you. I don't know. Do you have a Mavericks trade set up on your? Oh, you know, I got a Mavericks. Okay, trade. so I'll I'll be surprised if ours doesn't match up, but I'll, I'm interested. So I've got a Pacers Mavericks deal that has the Pacers trading Miles Turner and of course Doug McDermott out to the Dallas Mavericks, and the Pacers are going to get back your boy Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr. Okay, all right. Well, that's definitely interesting. Uh, Hardaway is on that expiring deal, so yeah. he's got you know, a player you're, you're option not... this year for eighteen point yeah. nine million. So I think he's he makes opt- a lot of sense. He's opting in for sure. Uh, Hardaway, I, he he's gotten better. He has. There was a time his career's been a little up and down. So it's Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr. for McDermott and uh, Miles Turner. Turner, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to resist a little Seth Curry talk, Alex. <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't, I can't get him out of my head. I, I need Seth Curry in a Pacers jersey. So I am intrigued there. 
here's the thing though. Hardaway, you don't know if he's gonna chances are he probably leaves. I don't know if he's maybe if there's like some great run with the Pacers, they could end up re-signing him but uh it's not a bad deal by any means it's not so why would, why would he leave though he's not somebody that's like yeah coveted. he's one of those he's that's like what I'm saying he's it, more exactly. like a contavious caldwell pope type of guy someone uh you know what i mean like someone who's a pretty yeah. good player but he's not like gonna dominate but i mean i've seen tim hardaway jr kill the pacers the guy oh, can yeah. put up 30 on any night you know just because he's that kind of guy and he has a good three-point shot. Seth Curry is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA right now. So you're really getting some guards that can shoot the ball. And I think that both can play well with Malcolm Brogdon. I'm definitely not opposed at all. I would like if there was an opportunity to maybe have Dallas include some type of like some type of pick. I don't know what they – it wouldn't be a first though. Maybe well, a second. See, I think if you look at trading Turner and Oladipo separate – Maybe you can get your draft picks from the Oladipo trade because the Mavericks don't have any picks yeah. really to trade. I know. They, they traded really most don't. of theirs to the Knicks, which is mm-hmm. where we saw yesterday that the Knicks are ready to offer, you know, Julius Randle, Nilakina plus picks, and they think that they could get Oladipo from that. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that it has to be some, you know, finagling and some dealing there. But if you can get Oladipo and get a couple of picks in return for him, and then you can add, you know, two more guards to your roster, it still doesn't fulfill the power forward lack, the lack of a power forward that you have on this roster. But I don't necessarily think that the the Mavericks would give us a pick. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe they don't. Uh, I'm I'm definitely intrigued. I, I am intrigued on uh, the team. I, I want to get me some Seth Curry. I do think that, like I said. <laughs> His contract so affordable. Uh, I honestly think it's it's just the perfect. I mean, you're talking about at seven million dollars a year. He's everything you wish McDermott could have been. Um, so I, I like it there. Hardaway Jr. I'm looking at some of his stats right now. You know, he he has picked it up. I mean, this year with Dallas, he had a pretty good year. You're talking about shot forty percent from three. He averaged sixteen points per game. I mean, he's always been. You know, uh, you know, he's. It's always been a pretty good score at times. The inconsistency has been there. But, you know, I, I would be interested. I'd be interested there. Did you say you had yourself a, um, a Mavericks uh, trade? Uh, yes, I did. So here's here's my Mavericks deal. It's uh, a little bit different than, than uh, one I brought up a while ago. But in this deal, the Pacers uh, include Miles Turner. And you know TJ Leaf is tagging along. I just found a way to get him in pretty much every deal. Uh, that ship has sailed. So it's going to be uh, Turner and Leaf for Maxi Kleba, Seth Curry, and Justin Jackson. Now, I've talked about Kleba before. He's putting up Miles Turner-like numbers at half the pay. Kleba is someone that Dallas likes, so I don't know if they would even include him in there. But you're looking at he's averaging 9-5, and five, which isn't going to blow you away, but he can shoot the three ball well at 37%. Just a, a player who's averaging over a block per game. He's not going to be Miles Turner like on the blocks, but you're getting Curry, who I mentioned before, second most accurate three point shooter of all time. A guy who I, I believe has has warranted a bigger role in the NBA. I don't understand why he's had to jump from team to team. And you're also getting Justin Jackson as kind of a throw in, someone who I feel like can be, you know, a, a more towards the end of the bench guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not a great player, but not a bad player. Just someone that you'll have there for depth. Um, obviously, he was big on uh, North Carolina's championship team a few years ago, but that's not going to help you in the NBA. But anyway, the salaries work out perfectly. 
Um, you're getting. I, I love the idea of having Kleba and Curry, uh, TJ Leaf. We're not missing anything there. And for Miles Turner, I mean, hey, you know, it, it's it's not a bad deal. Yeah. Do you think Kleba and Sabonis would fit well together? Not sure. Sometimes you just gotta roll the dice and find out. <laughs> That's that's my biggest concern, you know. I like Kleba a lot, but I'm not sure him and Sabonis make a ton of sense together. Um, I hear you. And I want to say, I want to say Kleba had like this weird clause in his contract where he was like only allowed to shoot so many twos because they were kind of forcing him to shoot threes. So, and he's still like not a great three point shooter. He's working on it. No. It just, I I think of him more as like a backup. Center. Oh yeah. Oh. For sure, for sure. I don't, I don't like him starting next to him. I mean, no, no but then no. like, does he get in the way of Goga's, Goga's, um, you know, development? It's possible, but if Goga's really supposed to be who he is, you know, who we thought he'd be, then I think that he should be able to, you know, warrant a little bit of competition and, and beat him out. Kleba's a good player, but he's not someone that you're a committing a lot of money to. Uh, and B, it's not like someone where it's, oh, no, we have to start him. I think he could be good in the, in the second unit. You you could start him if you want to, but it's not like one of those Miles and Domas th- pairings where you need to start both guys and one guy would be offended if he came off the bench or, or maybe making, me making too much money to come off the bench. So he's someone who I think could fit in with the team. Can he fit alongside Domas? You know, we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting to see who can really fit a- along him. But uh, – alongside him but it, it's not a bad deal it's not a great deal no i understand that it's i see i'd rather have tim hardaway jr than kleba and that might be okay you know just that's just me thinking because i like scores but it's it's still difficult because you know <laughs> they both could leave i mean i mean tim hardaway could leave so that's the biggest concern right there but uh all right so i've got one i've got a i've got a couple Different ideas with a Hornets trade. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I'm trying to figure out what the Hornets could do because the Hornets have a a good roster, but they don't have that center. And I feel like, to me personally, I feel like this trade could get done. So to start it off, I would trade Miles Turner by himself to the Hornets for Cody Zeller and the number three overall pick in this year's draft. So personally... I love that just for the fact of getting the third overall pick. I don't think the Hornets do that because that's a team that's starving. I mean, outside of Kemba Walker, they have not had anything going on for, I believe their losing percentage is the highest just behind the Knicks since the turn of 2000. So they have not had anything going on to the point where when they won that third overall pick, when they jumped up, it felt like a huge win for them. Mm -hmm. So... I think that, you know, despite you don't know if the third overall pick is going to be a, a guy that ends up really materializing in this draft, like Miles Turner could be what the third overall pick, you know, value is equivalent to. Uh, I don't know if they do that, just strictly off of giving up that pick without maybe, if the Pacers had like the 14th pick or something that they could include and do a swap, I think maybe they would. Yeah, so then that's what I was thinking like. Would they really do this? I don't know. So I said, well, what if I took on the Nicholas Batum contract and gave them back Jeremy Lamb and TJ Leaf? Now, it would be a $10 million increase for the Pacers, but they still have a little bit of cap room to make this deal work. I think that they could somehow use their mid-level exception to make it work. So they'd have Cody Zeller and Batum, which is about $42 million in expiring contracts, 
plus the number three overall pick for Jeremy Lamb, Miles Turner, and TJ Leaf. I think the Hornets might be more interested in that just because they'd be able to get off both those big contracts. That Batum contract I have regarded as the worst contract in the league for the last few years. Now it's it's almost up. There's I believe there's two years left. Yeah. But that contract has been so bad that I believe that that's honestly the reason why Kemba Walker is no longer a Hornet <laughs> because they gave him so much money to the point where there was nothing left for Kemba and he was making double what Kemba was making. So here's the thing. If you take on the Batum contract, do we even know if he can still play or has he just fallen so far out of favor with Charlotte? Dude, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't even care if he plays or not <laughs> because here's what I'm going to tell you. 2021 is going to be one of the most anticipated free agency uh, classes in a long time. You got Giannis Antetokounmpo and Victor Oladipo at the top of it, but I know there's a lot more other guys out there. I just haven't really looked at it, but I know those two are like the two top names of what's going to happen this season. So what I will tell you is I guarantee there are going to be teams that would be willing to to trade a large salary to the Pacers because the Pacers don't really – you know, they're not competitive in the free agency market, right? So if you have $42 million in expiring contracts with Batum and Cody Zeller, you could trade those throughout the season by the deadline and maybe get somebody like uh, somebody back that you really want for the long term. Like I know Dallas definitely wants to make a crack at Giannis. Same thing with a team like Toronto. You know what I mean? So it's like if these teams really want to get off some salary to, to make a run at one of these guys, the, these are the kind of contracts you need. And I think people were like, man, these players suck. But it's like you're not looking at the players. You're looking at the expiring contract. And that gives the Pacers $42 million in, in cap space for the next season, which would make them a player somewhat in free agency. I need to follow up by saying make no mistake about this. Nicholas Batum sucks at this point. <laughs> he, he does. I mean, that man is washed. But Cody Zeller, not a bad player. Obviously, you know, once again, it's almost comical to find another Indiana, another <laughs> IU guy that finds right. his way in a trade to the Pacers. But not a bad player. I mean, you know, I know numbers aren't everything. But he averaged 11, 11 points per game, 7 rebounds in 23 minutes. He's efficient. No, he was never worth being the fourth overall pick in the draft. That was a miss by Jordan. But... A, a, a player that would be a good backup center. Like, I, I do like the option of Cody Zeller as a backup center. I would need that third overall pick. Yeah. I need it because at this point, the Pacers, like I mentioned before, they never pick in the top 10. In, in, and when I say top 10, Paul George was 10. Yeah. So you're never picking top five ever. You need someone to be able to develop someone like we even talked about before in the past with Aaron Holiday's contract where you have him for, you know, those those four years and then it rolls over, you know, you, you, you sign him again. You're talking about having a guy for eight, nine years. You know, being able to have the third overall pick I think would be huge for a team that has struck out in the draft year after year. So at that point, I, I would be interested. You, you almost sold me on the Batum contract. It's, it's so disgusting that I still can't commit, but I feel like that contract can be flipped. It oh, can yeah. be. It'll yeah. take a year. He, Batum will, will be unmovable next year, but the year after that, he, he, that contract will be able to be moved and the Pacers well, will benefit from it. 
He'll be a free agent after this next season. So it would only be this year, and I think you could trade it at the deadline. So I know we got to wrap things up here, Foch, for this segment. Do you have any other trade ideas you want to throw out there? I do have one trade idea, but it's it's more of a maybe it's just too close to me. You know, we kind of discussed this a while ago. It's it's not it's not a great deal. It's more of just a kind of a thought here. So uh, actually, no. You know what? I'm just gonna go with this. Just uh, I've talked about it before. Actually, I want to give you two quick ones, and you just tell me which one you like better, real quick. Okay. A trade with the Pistons. It's gonna involve a sign and trade. Okay. Miles Miles Turner. For Christian Wood, we sign trade him, and Luke Kennard. Well, I would do that, but I don't think the Pistons are. I, the Pistons I don't think, love Christian Wood. <laughs> I, I, and I, I do think that they're going to re-sign him. So so we can quickly eliminate that because I think that he's the only young, promising player they've had in the last few years that they need to re-sign him. So the, the other trade is, Alex, we got to find a way to get Buddy healed in. Yes, the Buddy. We have to. So in this trade... It's Miles Turner and TJ McConnell for Buddy Heald. The contracts work out perfectly. Uh, Miles Turner, you could pair next to Marvin Bagley. Uh, Buddy signed for the next four years. Turner signed for the next three years. Uh, if the Pacers need to throw in, like you know, two second round, a second round pick, whatever it is, yeah. in, the, in the second round, they can have it. That's kind of what I did. I did TJ Leaf instead of McConnell and gave them that Utah 2021 second round pick. Um, just because who knows how good that draft could be and whatever, but that I'm I'm with you on that one. And then did you see the uh, blockbuster trade that uh, I sent to uh, Zach Noble that got that he shared? Not sure. If you tell me who's involved, I might have seen it. It was the Sixers, Pelicans, Thunder, and Pacers. Was that the one where Chris Paul ended up being a Pacer? Chris Paul and Drew Holiday become Pacers. <laughs> okay. So this right. is this is my this is my dream scenario, right? Okay. Get let's this. Hear it. So so the Thunder are gonna get Jeremy Lamb, Tobias Harris's nasty contract, but Tobias Harris is still pretty young. So I don't know, like maybe the Thunder'd be interested in having him. They're gonna get uh Goga Batadze, TJ Leaf, and I'm gonna go ahead and say this because I didn't do it originally. I'm gonna throw two first round picks in there, one from the Pacers in twenty twenty one and one from the, the 76ers. Now, the Pelicans get Miles Turner and Doug McDermott, and the 76ers get Dennis Schroeder and Victor Oladipo. So that was, okay. the, that was the full deal. So do you need me to go through it again, or did you hear it all? There was a lot of moving parts. So basically my understanding was the Pacers in that, teal, in that deal, they're dealing Goga, TJ Leaf, was it McDermott? Uh, the Thunder are going to get T.J. Leaf, Goga Batadze, Jeremy Lamb, and Tobias Harris with two first-round picks. Wow. So they're going to have like 15 picks coming to them in, in the next few years. All right. So I could definitely see why they would be interested in that. Tobias Harris is a player that, you know, if you're unloading Chris Paul, then it's not a big deal to take on Tobias, contra- Tobias Harris's contract. So yeah. the Pacers end up with uh, Chris Paul and Drew Holiday. Yes. Okay, and, and they, did you they, mean- they, the Sixers yeah. get Dennis Schroeder and Victor Oladipo, and the Pelicans get Doug McDermott and Miles Turner for Drew Holiday? I mean, if I'm the Pacers, obviously I'm pulling trig on that. I mean, if you, if you could do that deal, you got to do that. You're basically <laughs> you're giving up. Obviously, Turner and Oladipo, very good players. Goga is is a mystery box. Jeremy Lamb, you know, good player. I hope that he's the same guy. Uh, if you have to include a first-round pick, whatever. But you would actually have a team that would be very competitive 
So, but it does feel like, you know, the pipe dream of pipe dreams. So. Yes. Well, and it's funny because there was an OKC fan that commented and said, Tobias Harris contract will need to come attached with about three picks for a team to eat that salary. It's like Tobias Harris is not going to get three contracts with him for a trade. If you can trade Andrew Wiggins for, for, for two picks, you can easily trade Tobias Harris for one. I'm sorry, but. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Tobias Harris, still a good player. He should have never got paid that money. But, you know, you're not attaching three first-round picks to him. Um, yeah, no, that that's an interesting trade. You know, if we're ever playing 2K and we could pull that deal off, then, yeah, let's do we it. We are, baby. We are playing 2K. It's 2020. But, no, I think a more simpler trade would be Drew Holiday, uh, J.J. Redick, and a first-round pick for Oladipo and Turner. I think that would make more sense, and that is actually a, a deal that does work. But, Flachi, I know you got to get going. Thanks so much for coming on and doing this. It was a lot of fun. Anytime, brother. And at the end of the day, remember these words. Let's Let's go go Pacers. Pacers. All right, everybody. Joining us for our last segment today is the Locked on Rockets host, Jackson Gatlin. Jackson, thanks so much for coming on, man. Absolutely, Alex. I'm excited to talk some uh, Rockets and Pacers hoops with you, uh, get some maybe some hypothetical th- trades thrown in there, maybe discuss uh, Mike D'Antoni a little bit, whatever you're whatever you're wanting to talk about, whatever you're chomping at the bit <laughs> to, uh, you know, try and uh, kind of pry out of my mind. I'm ready to ready to talk hoops with you, man. OK, so let's just talk about Mike D'Antoni for a little bit then, because, you know, right now the Pacers, their coaching search has been a hot mess. It's like we hear like two or three names from Woj and then Malika Andrews comes out and throws out, you know, Darvin Ham's a finalist now. And then Nick Nurse came on and said one of his assistants, Nate, uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, is going to be in a, a finalist for the Pacers. And then, you know, we've, we've heard Mike D'Antoni could be in the, in the mix. It's just there's so much misdirection going on right now. It's really hard to break down. And, and pinpoint who like the top three or top five choices are. So since Mike D'Antoni has been attached to the Pacers since they fired Nate McMillan, I wanted to get somebody gone that has seen Mike D'Antoni in action. So when it comes to Mike D'Antoni, what are some of his like key philosophical and you know just some of the, his staples that he likes to run as far as a coach? I mean, I know it's not just give it to Harden get out of the way, but it, it, is it kind of that simple? It can be that simple, but there are some nuances. You know, if you're ju- if you're watching the Rockets' offense, there it, it does you know at, at times kind of just boil down to okay, great. James Harden has the ball and, and he dictates a lot of what happens offensively. But a lot of what Mike D'Antoni does is behind the scenes and isn't necessarily. Um, I don't want to call it like. I, or I guess the best way to put it is he's not actively sitting there on the sidelines, right? Calling sets, calling specific plays every time down. He puts his star players and his best players in positions to succeed by by building an offense, by building a scheme that allows them to put them in the best possible scenarios for them to succeed. And I've used the the adage pretty frequently that Mike D'Antoni has a, a an excellent first punch. I think his biggest detriment as a coach is that he at times is unable or unwilling to adjust or to be flexible but the but that he has one hell of a first punch so when he comes out when he scouts for an opposing team he's going to put his players in positions for them to succeed uh using using very minimal kind of nuanced uh you know things offensively like again 
just getting James Harden the ball, getting him the space to create, to dictate the offense, to put players uh, in certain alignments, basically based on what he's seeing on the court. Because he's not the one out there, right? He's not the one out there creating the offense. He's not the one out there, you know, dribble penetrating and breaking down the defense and and seeing what's actively being thrown at him. Uh, that's James, and so he, and by extension, also Russell Westbrook. And so he puts his players in position to make those choices, to make those reads, while also allowing, you know, a little bit of movement off the ball, some flare screens here and there. He does have uh, excellent out-of-timeout execution, um, you know, has some really fancy plays that he likes to draw up there, uh, you know, when you really just need to get a bucket or two going for a specific player. So just overall, he is a coach that is going to get the absolute most out of his best players, but at times, you know, you you look a little bit further down the bench and you think, okay, well, he hasn't really gotten the best out of some of his role players uh, over time, uh, you know, specifically talking about it from a Houston angle. Um, he's obviously inflated James Harden's numbers, put him in a position to really succeed and become the best version of himself. Um, I still think James would have made that progression naturally because he's just an all-time great talent. But mm-hmm. Mike D'Antoni really kind of um, expedited the process by giving him, you know, Ryan Anderson as a as a stretch four back in that 16-17 uh, season, really spacing out the offense, drawing defenders even further out. That way James Harden had more room to operate, running a lot of pick and roll with James and Clint Capella. That was the bread and butter of the offense for a number of years. Um, and he can do it fast or slow. He can run... Uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni's had offenses here in Houston that have been the fastest in the league, and he's also had two years where the offense was the, one of the slowest in the league. So he's capable of doing it both ways uh, from a from an offensive standpoint. Yeah. So I mean, when I look at this Pacers roster, I I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is a Pacers point guard right now, and I don't think that he necessarily is you know an up tempo style of guard. He just he's kind of slow footed, not super athletic. I think he's better served as an off ball guy personally going forward. I mean, I, I would be fine with him playing some minutes at the point guard, but I just don't think he's got that up-tempo, fast-paced, you know, game in him as a as a natural ball handler. And then you look at a guy like Sabonis, who was the Pacers starting center and all-star, very different, uh, you know, roster makeups compared uh, – Houston and Indiana are comparable. So let me, let me get your thoughts on what D'Antoni would look like coaching a Pacers roster right now. As it's presently constructed, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, mm-hmm. um, it remains really interesting, the idea of running, you know, of having two legitimate bigs out there in Miles Turner and uh, Demonis Sabonis out there, because that, that kind of, even though Miles Turner is a big that, you know, can space the floor, get, you know, stretch all the way out to the three-point line, um, it just kind of clogs things up, slows things down a little bit. And I'd be, I would imagine that if Mike D'Antoni were brought in, that something would have to change there and that one of those guys would more than likely be on the way out because that's just not his MO. That's not how he likes to play. Um, and just looking at some of the numbers, right, is the Pacers were number one in the league in uh, post-ups per possession, right? It, you know, getting the ball down low, really operating out of the post, and then dead last in the league at three-point attempts. So they're kind of playing a, a less modernized version of basketball and bringing in Mike D'Antoni is absolutely the way to modernize your offense, to try and uh, keep pace with uh, – no pun intended, sorry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, but, but to trying to keep pace with, with how the other teams in the NBA are, are developing, right? The, the trends, the, the analytics-focused organizations. Obviously, the Rockets are really at the forefront of the entire analytics movement in the entire NBA. And then Mike D'Antoni, who started it back in the day with the seven seconds or less Suns, was also really analytics-focused and just didn't quite um, – 
he didn't buy into his own scheme back with the Suns. He's said multiple times that he regrets not uh, not going completely all in with that dynamic that he had back uh, in the seven seconds or less Suns days. And with Houston, he really went all in on that dynamic this past season. And unfortunately, you know, things just didn't work out in the Rockets' favor. But I do think that um, we see it all across the league. We see teams downsizing for advantage over their opponents. You know, there's very few traditional bigs left in today's NBA, and even the traditional bigs that are out there tend to have, uh, you know, the ability to either play make or to stretch the, you know, to to stretch their offense out to the three point line. Um, you look at guys like Jokic, Embiid, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, guys like that who, yes, they're legit seven-footers, they're legitimate bigs, but they provide so much more than the seven-footers of old. And looking at the, the Pacers' construction, it's tough to imagine how they would, or it's tough to imagine, I guess, this current roster being utilized under Mike D'Antoni with the double bigs, but that's exactly the guy that you want to bring in if you want to try and keep up with the rest of the NBA and try to modernize a little bit and get the most out of your best player. So get the most out of Malcolm Brogdon, get the most out of Victor Oladipo if he stays and isn't, you know, moved this offseason, getting the most out of every player that you can. Because even, I mentioned the role players and maybe it's less, Maybe I, I worded a little bit poorly in my first answer. It's not so much that he doesn't get a lot out of role players. There are plenty of role players that have flourished in Mike D'Antoni's systems. It's just that they're not going to flourish with the ball in their hands. Yeah. You know, there's going to be one or two primary ball handlers at all times, and the entire offense is going to run through those one or two guys, and everybody else needs, just needs to be ready to shoot the ball when it comes their way because he does pride himself on a simplistic offense that doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, that doesn't necessarily have a lot of ball movement, but that's also just been the last four years here in Houston with a dominant uh, set of ball handlers in James Harden, Chris Paul, and most recently Russell Westbrook. So maybe things do change up a little bit if he were hired as the Pacers head coach. Well, I find it interesting that he was, you know, the front runner before Doc Rivers was fired for the the job in Philadelphia. I know he had connections there, being an, a former assistant head coach there. But you know, Embiid's a big guy, you know, someone that is a unicorn type of player, but. You know, injury-wise, it's been up and down for him. And then you got Ben Simmons, you know, a really talented guy, but he's not able to to shoot the three, which has been talked about overly. And then, of course, you look at the Pacers roster. They have two bigs, uh, Sabonis and Turner right now. Now there is speculation that Turner is the one that's more than likely on the move. And then, of course, Victor Oladipo, like you said, um, his, his future looks to be in jeopardy with the Pacers as well. So when you look at that center type of position, let's just imagine that it's just Sabonis on the roster here, just for hypotheticals. How do you see D'Antoni using a guy like Demonte Sabonis in this style of offense? I think that it's going to become very pick and roll heavy oriented between you know and then it really depends on who becomes that guy in MDA's eyes, right? So we're pretending he's hired as a head coach. Who becomes the primary ball handler? I would imagine more more than likely it'd be Malcolm Brogdon, correct? Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Sabonis were heavily involved this year together. Uh, Okay, so with that being said, I would imagine that it's going to be a lot of pick-and-roll action between those two guys. And my my biggest thing is whoever is running the point in a Mike D'Antoni offense, you know, whoever's the primary ball handler, for them to find success, and even Chris Paul struggled with this at times, is that person has to be just as much of a, a, as a threat to score the ball as they are to facilitate the ball. That's, mm-hmm. when, they're at, that's when Mike D'Antoni's offense is at its most deadly because that person commands so much attention from the defense that that's how they generate wide open shots. So it's not, you know, it's not the Golden State Warriors. It's not the... Uh, 
It's not the Miami Heat. It's not the Boston Celtics where there's, you know, a, a ton of ball movement where there's, you know, a lot of passing and they're really working the ball around trying to find that open look from somebody. It's one or two guys who are heavily involved in, you know, strong side action or whatever. And then they're going to either A, create a shot for themselves, you know, the, the ball handler or the, the rim runner, in this case, uh, you know, Brogdon and Sabonis, or the defense is going to have to commit a third person to that action to be able to stop it, and then that generates a wide-open look for somebody else. It really is so simple when you break it down that way, but it's led to some of the highest-rated offenses in NBA history here in Houston, and it's led to some really potent offensive teams over the years. And that's not just because it's James Harden. I mean, you can look back at Mike D'Antoni's track record, and he's had really dominant you know, really dominant guards over the years who flourish in his system, and Malcolm Brogdon could be that very next guy. So, But from Sabonis' standpoint... His job, in a way, almost becomes easier because then he's just on the receiving end from these, these pick-and-roll actions. And so I don't know how Sabonis is as far as um, his, his hands offensively, but he's going to be a guy who, you know, if, if MDA were brought in, this system is going to require him to be a really good role man and to be able to catch a lot of passes as the role guy heading towards the rim. So I would imagine that the amount of actual, like, legitimate post-up opportunities that he gets would decrease, but the amount of easy opportunities he's going to get right at the rim because of how Mike D'Antoni constructs these offenses and the certain alignments that he chooses to use, putting the other three shooters in certain spots to where the defense really can't send any help, um, it's going to lead to some, some of the easiest buckets he's ever probably seen. Yeah, and so one thing I'll tell you about Sabonis is just like, his hands are phenomenal. He he sees the floor incredibly well. He He ran a lot of dribble handoffs with whether it was McDermott coming off a screen, you know, trying to get a free open for a three, and they had a nice pick-and-roll game. He had a really nice pick-and-roll game with Malcolm Brogdon as well, and he's clearly the Pacers' best screen setter on the roster. I mean, probably the only one that can do it efficiently uh, on a consistent basis, and I think the Pacers really missed that in the playoffs. We've talked about that on this, about that on this podcast quite a bit. But, yeah, I think really, I mean, everybody expects, you know, the big in D'Antoni's offense to have to shoot the three, but I don't really recall Clint Capella being a three-point threat out there with the Rockets. No, no, not not whatsoever. And in fact, I think that one thing that we never really got to see here in Houston, and this is you know so frustrating, at, you know, covering the team, trying to figure out you know how this could have looked. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But looking at the the construction of the Houston roster, the bigs for Houston have never been. Uh, ball handlers. They've never been playmakers, right? And you look at a guy like, say, um, Bam Adebayo or even Sabonis, right? Somebody who, a big, who has the ability to put the ball on the floor a little bit, who has, you know, some some decent court vision and can make a pass here or there and actually be the focal point for a play. And that unlocks your offense so much more. It, it allows you to have a lot more versatility in your offense, being able to run a, a play out of the high post from one of your bigs. And so I do think that, you know, Mike D'Antoni showed in the playoffs specifically by utilizing Jeff Green as the backup center behind P.J. Tucker, he utilized Jeff Green as um, as a playmaker in, in multiple lineups where he would have guys kind of coming off of down screens or you know utilizing dribble handoffs and stuff to get some easy looks and to generate some easy offense. So I think that a lot of it is about personnel and just who he had available here in Houston. And look, if you've got James Harden on your roster, you don't really want to take the ball out of his hands. He yeah. is the most lethal isolation player in NBA history, and he's one of the best offensive players to ever you know lace him up, to ever step on the court. So you don't really exactly want to take the ball out of his hands. Um, 
So I think that's why we saw such a simplified version of Mike D'Antoni's offense over the years. But if you think back to the days where he was with the Phoenix Suns, you know, compare Sabonis to uh, maybe an Amari Stoudemire role, right? Yeah, obviously a little bit, you know, not as athletic, not as explosive, mm-hmm. but could very easily be that style of big where he's given the ball in the high post and he either creates for himself off the dribble or he's creating for others with off-ball action around him. Um, and passing out of the high post for either easy cuts directly at the rim or, you know, maybe a simple flare screen off on the off on the weak side to be able to get a wide open three point look for somebody. There's no end to the to the possibilities that could be made, uh, especially when you have a big uh, like Sabonis who can be utilized as a passing threat as well as a scoring threat or a rim running threat. Yeah, I think I think Sabonis would thrive, actually, in a Mike D'Antoni offense. And I know that people don't really, you know watch enough D'Antoni to know exactly what they run and and they probably just watch it and say oh it's just isolation basketball but I think there's more to it and I I've been intrigued as well by by TJ Warren somebody that everybody knows from the bubble was just unbelievable made the all bubble team and you know had 53 points against the 76ers I mean it was just fantastic watching him play in the bubble but then in the playoffs you know he kind of struggled with the offense that McMillan was running so what do you think about TJ Warren being unlocked a little bit in the Mike D'Antoni offense so like I kind of mentioned, right, is it's going to be predominantly one or two guys dominating a lot of the, you know, it's going to be one or two guys with the highest usage ratings on the team. But the benefit of that is the other guys on the team are going to get some of the easiest shots they've ever gotten is so much of the attention has to be focused on the primary action in a Mike D'Antoni offense that I, one of those guys is going to score or they're going to generate a, generate a wide open look for somebody else. You know, the difference in say the you know the the Warriors offense even with Kevin Durant right is they had a lot of off ball movement a lot of screens um and a lot of passing to try and generate these wide open looks whereas in a Mike D'Antoni offense it you know you could have offensive possessions where it's only one or two passes total and you're still getting a wide open look because at the end of the day right offenses in the NBA they all want the highest quality shots they want corner three pointers they want shots at the rim and they want free throws and there's some teams that prioritize those shots quite a bit more than others, the, the analytics-focused ones specifically. But at the end of the day, those are the best shots in the NBA. And it's all about finding the best, most efficient p- ways to get those shots. And if you can get those shots by only having to pass the ball once or twice, or if you can get those shots by having to pass the ball upwards of 10 times in a single possession, it doesn't matter as long as you're still generating a high-quality shot. And Mike D'Antoni's offense allows you to generate those high-quality shots without the need to pass the ball an abundance of times on a singular possession, which which also in turn limits turnovers, right? If you're not passing the ball, you know, if it's not multiple crisp passes along the perimeter or trying to, uh, you know, pass, there's there's ways to, I guess, um, there's multiple ways to achieve what you want offensively, and I think Mike D'Antoni does it in a way that, in a way doesn't give him credit because again it does look kind of simple when you're watching it but there's so much going on behind the scenes and a lot of it to me is again prep before getting to the actual game because he's not going to be standing there on the sideline calling out every single offensive play he's going to trust his guys to do that so it's it's more so the work that goes in beforehand the scouting and the figuring out which ways we're going to take advantage of the team that they're facing um before actually getting to tip off yeah, and see, I mean, while D'Antoni is not my first choice for the Pacers head coaching uh, vacancy, I mean, I'm still really intrigued by his offensive, you know, mindset and and how he would unlock this team and just play so much differently than they played for the past 20 years. I mean, if you look at this Pacers team. 
they've pretty much been defensive minded their whole entire existence. And I think that it'd be fun to see them tap into something totally different and, and still be able to keep that defensive edge. Because I, I was listening to your podcast a little bit today. And, you know, the, the key thing you said is you got to be top 10 in offense and in defense to really succeed. And, you know, the, the Rockets are in the same position as the Pacers trying to figure out which direction they're going to be going. So I, I think that there's a, a lot of interesting candidates out there to keep our names on. But you definitely had some hypothetical trades you wanted to, to bring to the table today. So I'm, I'm interested in some of your hypothetical trades for any of the Pacer players. I'm just, I'm curious what you have for us. Well, so, so the first of which, and this is one that's, that's kind of circled, uh, you know, circled, made the waves uh, a little bit on, you know, Rockets, Twitter and whatnot. And my thing is, you know, of the Rockets potential pieces that can be moved, right? There's, there's some people first off there's there's people who are saying oh just blow it up you know trade trade hard and trade Russ and I'm like okay well those are those aren't realistic right that's not going to happen mm-hmm. so looking at the the current construction of the roster the first guy that jumps off the page that you know is is essentially their first trade chip is Eric Gordon mm-hmm. now Eric Gordon had himself a bit of a of a down year unfortunately um, but that doesn't change the fact that he's been their X factor. And he's also had a really great playoff stints with the Rockets, with the exception of this past season. Um, and I think that a lot of that had to do with his knee injury. He just really never got into a rhythm in the season. And also by extension, Mike D'Antoni's offense, I've mentioned it already a couple times that it, it focuses on one or two primary ball handlers, and that's pretty much it. And so with, Eric Gordon being a guy who likes to handle the ball a little bit, who's not solely a spot-up shooter, he's a guy that that kind of got his role reduced significantly within this Rockets team when they brought in Russell Westbrook because Chris Paul was a guy that had the ability to play a little bit more off-ball than Russ does because he's you know a, a, a great shooter. Uh-huh. And so Eric was still kind of able to play his brand of basketball alongside Chris Paul, whereas he was relegated to a spot-up shooter role uh, next to Russell Westbrook. So I do think that Eric still has a lot of potential as being that third wheel uh, on a on a contender. Like legitimately, if the Rockets ran it back with Eric Gordon as their third piece, um, I wouldn't be upset. He He's shown that he can be a great player um, and can produce. I just think that the fit isn't quite there with, with Russ and with Harden, and those two guys are the untouchables to me. So Eric Gordon becomes your first trade chip. Um, I don't see Covington or Tucker being moved unless it's for, you know, the right deal, especially seeing as how they gave up their starting uh, center and Clint Capella for Covington in the first place. And then it brings us to an interesting candidate is Daniel House Jr. And there was some drama surrounding him and what happened in the NBA bubble. Uh, the fact that he wasn't available for the final three games against the Lakers because of what happened, the uh, alleged situation regarding uh, one of the COVID testers and his room inside the Disney hotel <laughs> that they were staying at, all that good stuff. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that he is a phenomenal wing player and above average wing player on a steal of a contract, just making a little under $4 million a year for the next two seasons, um, has had, had a phenomenal season. He really is the guy that you, he is the prototypical three and D that you would want starting next to James Harden and Russell Westbrook. He, his ball handling got a little bit better this last season. His ability to play make for others got a little bit better. His defense got better. Uh, his three-point shooting got better. Just all around improved every element of his game this past season. And that's why when people were on social media saying, oh, well, you know, Daniel House is just a role player. It doesn't matter that he's out. I mean, it, it mattered a little bit that he was missing in that Lakers series. 
because of his contributions throughout the entire year. Um, he's not your third best player or anything, but there have been some nights where he's stepped up and you know hit the tough shots and been the guy to kind of help push them over the edge at times. And he remains a really interesting player at just 27 years old. Um, you know, has a lot of room to still continue to improve, uh, considering he's only been you know a a legitimate NBA player for like two seasons now, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got brought up. Uh, two and a half seasons ago and really started making waves. So he's an interesting guy and kind of probably going to be the uh, sweetener in a potential trade deal. And then everybody else on the Rockets roster, uh, Austin Rivers could opt into his deal, but I don't really see him doing that. So he's likely not going to be traded. Ben McLemore is a guy who could potentially be included in a trade. And that's pretty much it from tradable assets. So yeah, the first not trade, that he, not, no, not, not a lot to look at, but you know, you mentioned it yourself is the idea that, that Miles Turner is, you know, more than likely going to be shipped out of Pacers land, right? That's that's kind of where you're standing. That's that's kind of what everybody feels like right now. I mean, uh, Jay Michael from the Indy Star covers the Pacers. He he said that it's about like a 20% chance in his estimation uh, of of Turner coming back. And Turner actually, he said, believes that he won't be a Pacer next year. So it's it's really like everybody is just kind of speculating that Miles and, and probably Victor will not be Pacers. So uh, kind of following along some of those lines, right, is – and I'm, I've been trying to look at this as fr- from an as much of an unbiased standpoint as possible. Because whenever I try to sit down and do trades, I legitimately try to put myself in the other team's shoes and see, okay, is this a trade that makes that team better? And in my mind, the idea of a Miles Turner, Eric Gordon centered trade, obviously with there's there's you know more wiggle room around there, but those being the two kind of centerpieces of a trade makes a decent bit of sense for both parties involved with the caveat that it would be with Mike D'Antoni coming in as the head coach for Mm -hmm. the Pacers. Because, again, he wants to play a style that really only requires one big on the court at a time. And I can't imagine a situation in which you start Sabonis and then bench Miles Turner to bring him off the bench or something to that effect. That's not going to work out. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I'm sitting here trying to, okay, so Eric Gordon for Miles Turner, straight up, that's that's an unfair trade for the Pacers, right? Just If it's just a one-for-one trade, that's unfair from the Pacers' standpoint. But then it gets interesting if you consider throwing in Daniel House into that deal because that's two starting caliber players for one starter, a starter who is more or less soured on the Pacers himself and probably sees himself leaving the organization in the first place. But And Eric Gordon, I can understand some concerns there. He's 31 years old, coming off of a bit of a down season and has four more years on his contract because he just signed his contract extension with the Rockets, which carries him through the 2023-2024 season, although that year is not fully guaranteed. So that's kind of a, a saving grace there. Um, he's a guy that is, you know, brings a veteran mentality to that team, uh, you know, brings a lot of versatility in his offensive game and he's a plus defender, but really to me, the interesting ad is throwing in Daniel house on that deal because he is a guy again, really kind of a steal of a three and D wing guy. And to me, two starters for one starter makes some sense. But then I started kind of looking around the NBA landscape and I said, okay, who's another team, right? Is there another team that would be interested in miles Turner? So from your standpoint, have you played around with any trades for miles Turner? And are there any out there that you think, (laughs) make a little bit more sense than that one, than, than Eric Gordon and Daniel House Jr. Yeah, so we, we actually did a whole entire segment before you came on where we gave out some trade ideas for Miles Turner. And, you know, it's it's interesting because center is not a coveted position right now in the NBA. So, you know, 
if if you're trying to trade a center, it's like, you know, who who wants a center? And a lot of teams already have centers, so it's like trading for another center that's got seventeen and a half million for the next three years, like how enticing is that? I mean, I think Miles Turner's ability to rim protect and shoot the three is enticing to a lot of teams. And I will say this, if the Pacers did pull off that Rockets trade, I think a lot of fans would be underwhelmed with getting back, you know, an injury-prone Eric Gordon, who's, you know, in the latter part of his career, in my opinion. I mean, still a good basketball player. I really have enjoyed his time at the Rockets. And then Daniel House is somebody that I, I'm just curious. I mean, before I get into my, my Turner trades, I wanted to ask you, like, don't you think that a lot of Daniel House's success has come off of the the attention that is drawn to James Harden and Russell Westbrook and, and Chris Paul when he was there? In a way, yes, but at the same time, he's a guy who's developed his game quite a bit more to where he isn't just a, he's not a PJ Tucker, right? He's not just a spot up in the corner and shoot threes kind of guy. He's athletic. His defense, you know, is, um, you know, above average. And offensively, he really has added more to his game over time to where now, He's the one guy besides besides Russ and besides Harden and besides Gordon. He's the guy out of their out of the Rockets core of wing players that can actually create off the dribble that when he decides to do something with the ball besides just take a three point shot. um, I'm actually not super worried about it. He's developed a Mm -hmm. really nice patented step back, very similar to James Harden's, where he's able to um, sidestep, you know, a charging defender and uh, act like he's going to drive and then step back into an open three. And he's gotten really great at that. Um, He's gotten better at the ability to drive in transition you know going coast to coast or getting the ball even at the the half court line in transition and finishing aggressively at the rim he has no qualms about rising up in transition and trying he has had so many near posters this past season it's Mm -hmm. actually become kind of a joke in the Rockets community where when Daniel House goes up for a dunk you know, he, he looks like he's going to go up to murder somebody every time he goes up for a dunk. And he's only had like one or two po- like legitimate posters all year. But he usually converts them in, into some free throws in transition. And um, that level of aggression, you know, is a reason why I would be sad to see him leave the Rockets because they are the oldest team in the NBA. And so he is one of their younger players at 27 years old, um, really athletic. He gives them some of that youthful exuberance that you like to see on a basketball court. Um, and kind of balances out some of their older, more methodical kind of players. Um, I know that, you know, you've got Russell Westbrook who also plays, you know, at 110% energy at all times, but Russ wasn't quite himself in the bubble. Um, and especially not after the quad injury when he returned right, right. Uh, for the for the three games against the OKC and then the five games against the Lakers, just didn't quite look like himself. So, you know, the, this Rockets team is a team that's missing some, you know, some much needed athleticism, some guys who are just, you know, you know, throw it, you know, jam the ball down your throat kind of guys, you know, guys who can finish at the rim with just brute force, right? As opposed to just, you know, having to shake their defender and finish with finesse. Um, and that's something that I really like about Daniel House. So I do think that his game is more than just uh, as a beneficiary of the James Harden, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook uh, trio of guards that he's played alongside. And I think that he could find a- an equivalent level of success elsewhere as well. Okay, so I'll say this. I have not watched a ton of Daniel House, but I'm also not in that camp that thinks he's just a scrub. No, I've seen him play pretty well in the playoffs when I watched the Rockets games, and I was I was like, man, Daniel House is pretty good. So, I mean, I would be okay with that trade. It wouldn't be, like, one of my first choices, but, like, if you're just adamant on not bringing Turner back and you can get some potential with, with a Daniel House and, and see how he fits, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily what I would want to do overall. So I would say that the two names that keep coming up a lot in Pacers, in Pacers Twitter and Pacers Facebook and wherever Pacers fans are talking – 
Uh, a lot of people like Buddy Heald, and Buddy Heald is someone that has pretty much made it known he does not want to be in Sacramento anymore. And then, you know, a lot of people feel like Miles Turner, you know, he's like three or three or four years younger than Buddy Heald. They don't really have a center. They do have uh, Marvin Bagley, who I know they were playing at center some, but feel like you could play those two together. And then another team, and I've actually talked to some of the people from the Bird Rights um, in their podcast. They uh, from New Orleans. They have they have mentioned that they would like Miles Turner next to Zion Williamson on their roster. And uh, we actually threw this trade out last year when we had a conversation about the Pacers trying to figure out who their next point guard should be. And it was a, a surrounded by Drew Holiday. So, I mean, you're talking about Drew Holiday and Buddy Heald, and those names are a lot more appealing and a lot more sexy compared to it, Eric Gordon and Daniel House. But, I mean, it, it really does seem like there's a lot of um, a t- interest in Miles Turner. I'm just not sure where that's coming from. Absolutely. No. Well, I mean, you, you said it yourself earlier, you know, a guy who can protect the rim the way that he does, as well as space the floor offensively. That's, you know, a, a center that, you know, that's about as modern day as you can get for a center. Um, in today's NBA, somebody that, you know, essentially almost uh, Rudy Gobert-esque with a shot, right? You know, poor right. man's Rudy Gobert, but with a, with a three-point shot. And there's a lot of teams that would love to have that. Now, um, you know, it, it, the, the Pelicans angle is really interesting because I've been a guy who said that, you know, before the Pelicans really do need uh, to space their offense out. They can't run a traditional five next to, uh, next to Zion Williamson because it clogs things up for him, right? It doesn't it, – it's – the way the NBA has moved is you want the spacing. Ideally, you would love it if if four or five of your guys can shoot the three ball because that allows you to space your offense out so much better to where teams can't, uh, you know, they can't hone in on the one guy who really wants to live at the rim. In that case, being Zion, or in the Rockets' case, being uh, you know Russell Westbrook, or in the Pacers' case, uh, being Sabonis. Right? Is you can't hone in on the guys who want to live, you know, in the mid range or near the rim. Uh, by offering help because then it's going to turn into wide open three point shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, keep going. Well, I, and I was going to say that that the the Kings situation uh, is really interesting uh, because thinking about De'Aaron Fox and uh, Miles Turner on the same team again, similar similar idea. You know, being able to run some pick and roll between those two guys, having a three point threat, having somebody who kind of anchors that that Kings defense uh, is interesting. And I know that Buddy Heald is a guy who is kind of in a similar boat to Miles Turner, where the organization has kind of soured on him a little bit. Um, you know, he did, he kind of had a, a down year this past season. Um, not, I don't want to say down year, just kind of didn't do the things that he did to earn that contract extension in the first place. And so, you yeah. know, he's making almost 25 million a year. And so the question is who wants to, you know, do, does, is there a team out there that wants to pay Buddy Heald that $25 million a year to be a second or even a third option on a team? Um, and one of the trades that I actually threw out also, uh, in addition to just the straight up uh, Gordon and House for Miles Turner trade was the the three team trade involving Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, and and Eric Gordon and Daniel House with House and Gordon instead going to the Kings in place of uh, Miles Turner. So basically, Miles Turner would come to Houston, Buddy Heald would go to the Pacers, and then uh, the Kings would get Eric Gordon. And Daniel House, because again, to me, that's two starting caliber guys. Yeah. Um, and it brings in again. I think the one thing about Eric Gordon, right, is you mentioned um, the injury prone. You know, Eric Gordon. I, I will say that that's one stigma that he hasn't been able to shake really. Even though this season was the only season where he missed significant time in his four years so far here in Houston. 
Um, he's actually been really healthy since coming to Houston. He's been kind of a backbone of the roster, um, hasn't missed any significant time until this past season. And, you know, when you're the third option, when you're a guy that the team counts on regularly, and in some cases has been the second option, you know, in, in for stints with uh, Chris Paul missing, you know, about a quarter of the season, both years that he was here, as well as being a really consistent playoff performer, he's been the Rockets' second best player many, many nights. And mm-hmm. so... That's the issue is, you know, when you look back and you try to think, okay, well, you know, the, all the hardened critics out there who like to throw him some shade about, you know, why he hasn't been able to get over the hump in the playoffs. Well, you look at who his second best player has been for a lot of these games, and then you bring up the name Eric Gordon. Is Eric Gordon the second best player on a championship contender? He's not. Can he no. be the third or fourth best player on a championship contender, especially at his current contract value? Absolutely. And he because he's one of those guys who can step up and be your best player on any given night. He just can't consistently be your your best or second best player. That's just not who he is as a player. Right. And I mean, I, I would be OK with that deal as well. I mean, I don't know if the the Kings would rather have uh, Miles Turner or those other or Daniel House or Eric Gordon. I mean, that's it's the Kings. Nobody really knows what they want. And I, I don't like Luke Walton at all as a coach. I think that, you know, his relationship with Buddy Hill soured pretty badly because but they couldn't des- determine if Buddy was going to start or not, and I think that was just kind of frustrating for Buddy because he actually, you know, had a, had a pre- pretty decent year. I think he's a forty percent three point shooter, and uh, you know, even if the Pacers don't bring in Mike D'Antoni, but if they did, I think Buddy Hill makes a lot of sense in the D'Antoni offense. Now, I don't think that Buddy Hill is the savior for you know Oladipo and his departure, so that's where I would kind of be reserved a little bit. But I think that if you can. Find a guy out there that can knock down some three-point shots and, and put up about 18, 20 points a game and doesn't have to have the ball in his hands 24-7. I think that you could benefit from that, especially if you're going to have Sabonis, TJ Warren, and Brogdon as your main three out there. But, yeah, I think the other wrinkle that could be interesting, too, for the Pacers is can they combine Miles and Victor Oladipo in a trade? And, and what could they get in a return for both of those guys? Because right now, I mean, Victor's value is probably a little bit less because he's coming off a bad injury. We still haven't seen if he can do it, and he's in a contract year. So, you know, if you can attach Miles to that, then you are able to make up a salary that gets you a pretty good player back. Like, not saying that this was happen, but somebody in the same realm as like a Chris Paul level player, possibly, you know, you could go that route as, as far as contract wise goes. So I think that there's something there the Pacers could play with as well. Do you think the Pacers would be better off trying to pair those two in a trade or trading them separately? It really depends on the direction they want to go. Right. Cause if you look at it, it, it you know, talking about these, these directions where you, you have to find a team that not only wants Miles Turner and his services, but then you have to find a team that also, you know, has a need for Victor Oladipo. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, it's going to be really tough to aggregate all that salary mm-hmm. um, without either A, dismantling the team or or B, without then creating holes in the roster that would, I guess, be um, – be tough to fill anyways. I think one other team that kind of got thrown out that I remember seeing in some talks as a potential suitor for Miles Turner was the Celtics. Yeah. And that that makes a great deal of sense as well. But looking at their roster, you start thinking, okay, well, who would get, who would they give up? The trade would more or less have to be centered around Gordon Hayward, right? And yeah. so then you, as a Pacer, as a Pacer fan, a person, you start thinking about, okay, well, do you want Gordon Hayward back on a one year flyer, basically? Um, you know, if there's some success there, then yeah, you can maybe go back and you know renegotiate a cheaper contract because he's not the player that he was when he signed that deal originally. 
but the, there's still some potential there. But the idea that you would have to aggregate enough salary to get to Gordon Hayward's salary in, in just now, this is not the assumption of the uh, the Victor Oladipo and the Miles Turner combined trade. This is just Miles Turner by himself. You would have to include one of I believe it was uh, T.J. Warren or. Jeremy uh, or Lamb. Jeremy Lamb yeah. to kind of aggregate enough salary. And then you'd also have to include one of the cheaper guys on the roster. So you'd start looking down the line at uh, McConnell or TJ Leaf or Aaron Holiday, somebody like that, to round out the total number of the total amount of salary to get up to Gordon Hayward's contract value. And at that point, if I'm the Pacers, I don't think that's enough, right? Like, I think you're giving up too much at that point to get back just Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Um, and then you look at it, from, and then from the Celtic standpoint, you can't really add more to that deal because then uh, you're you're giving up uh, too much for 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 Miles Turner. So I think it's tough when you start looking at contracts like that. But bringing up the the Oladipo and Miles Turner trade, I think that one becomes a really interesting wrinkle because if you're trading Oladipo and Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward plus somebody else on that Celtics roster, then I think you can make a trade that makes a little bit more sense for both parties involved. Maybe a Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart deal for like Oladipo, Miles Turner. Like I know you used the word sexy earlier. Is that a sexier <laughs> trade for you? Like how how would I mean, you feel in that I, regard? I couldn't I couldn't imagine the Celtics getting rid of Marcus Smart uh, as much as I, I would love he's, it. I mean, he's the heart and soul of that team. It, and I had it, to throw it in there because I know he's their like <laughs> mid tier contract salary guy. Yeah, it would probably have to be Daniel Tice because it looks like you know Gordon Hayward's got thirty four point one million and Daniel Tice is five, and then Turner and Oladipo is about thirty eight, thirty nine. So I think that the Pacers would you know end up taking a little bit more money back but if they get Daniel Tyson Gordon Hayward for Turner and Oladipo I mean that's not a terrible trade but then at the same time you know is Daniel Tyson really going to want to come off the bench behind Sabonis that's the thing you know it's 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 really difficult I mean personally like Daniel Tyson for five million or Miles Turner for 17 like you know I mean if I'm the Celtics I'm thinking to myself is that really that big of an upgrade, a $12 million upgrade getting Turner over Tice? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Tice was really good this year. He, he was, and but at the end of the day, Tice is a non-shooter as well. You know, only only averaging about 30% from behind the arc. Um, and in, in most situations, he's treated as a non-shooter. You know, he's treated as a guy who's not out there to get his own shot. Um, you know, he's out there. He's a hustle guy. He plays defense. He gets boards. Um, you know, sets good screens, but he's not a guy who's going to – um, be as lethal as Miles Turner would be in a pick and pop situation. Um, again, providing a lot of that spacing offensively. But my, my biggest thing when I've looked at any of these potential trades, and again, trying to put myself in, in opposing teams' shoes, is I look at the Pacers' cap situation, and, you know, they're a team that's going to be capped out for the near future. Um, you know, just capped out next season, and the, the following summer, they've got a couple, you know, a couple guys who, who fall off the books. Um, but that's, that's assuming that they're not also bringing in, I guess, I guess like looking at it, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have enough salary to throw around to bring in like a marquee free agent, uh, next summer or next off season. Well, they're, they're never going to do that. Cause they don't ever get free agents. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's <laughs> like their most sexy free agent signing and they had to give up a first round pick to get him. So it's like the Pacers know, like they're not going to get free agents. So they're going to have to acquire all their talent. Like they mostly have is through through trading and they don't even really draft in, in in the high you know picks either because they never tank so that's kind of where we're at it's like they got to trade for their talent and that's why that it only makes sense to 
try to trade for for possibly like a, a star, like not a superstar, but like an all star level player, or you know trying to trade for like an early round pick. Like I, I saw a trade today. We talked about it at the beginning of the podcast from Jonathan Wasserman, a Bleacher Report. It was like a three team deal where the Pacers would send Miles Turner to the Warriors, and the Warriors would send. Andrew Wiggins in the protected lottery pick from Minnesota to Atlanta. Then Atlanta would send the 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 Warriors that number six overall pick in this year's draft, and the Pacers would get number two overall. So it's like if the Pacers could do something like that, that'd be sexy. But I just I just don't see it happening. I don't think the Hawks would give up number six uh, to take on the Wiggins contract. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of. I kind I kind of don't see that one as well, you know. And it, it it's it's interesting looking looking at the age of a lot of the guys on this roster, right? Is Miles Turner's the one? Miles Turner's really young, and then Sabonis is really young. But everybody else is kind of you know the the core contributors, right? Are all kind of in that uh, late twenties range to where they're all kind of hitting their primes, I guess, right about now or kind of entering them. And so you look at this team. Would this team really be? Uh, okay, I guess to to bring in a rookie, even if it was going to be a high impact rookie, like say uh, you know uh, bringing in Lamelo, right, something like that, you know, with yeah. the number two overall pick, Anthony is that Edwards, somebody, <laughs> or Anthony Edwards, right, just bringing in a high impact rookie. Is this a team that could afford for you know that rookie to take the next two to three years to really kind of hit their stride, or is this a team that really wants to try and bring in a high impact player right now, somebody who fits the timeline? of the, all the current guys that they've got in this core um, to try and continue being a, a competitive top four seed in the Eastern Conference. Because next season, right, we've got the uh, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be uh, something to deal with in the yeah. East. Um, and I feel like off the top of my head, I thought there was one more team. Oh, and then uh, the Miami Heat, who finished as the fifth seed this year, they're going to obviously be um, you know something to something to deal with next season. So the, the Pacers have this uh, outlook of potentially being what – at best, maybe a sixth seed unless they make a really significant shakeup this offseason. Yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at. Like, you know, I think they were a false four seed, obviously, this year. I mean, Miami, as a five seed, got to the finals. Um, Philadelphia, they're interesting. I mean, are they going to take a, s- a step back? I mean, how good of a coach is Doc Rivers? I think that's still, you know, up in the air. Like, he's a solid guy, a really good person, you know, but how great of a coach is he at developing guys? I mean, there's been flashes of it, but I just I don't really know what his ceiling is with the Sixers and what their ceiling is with their roster. So it's like the only other team like that's kind of on the outside looking in. It's like Atlanta is going to probably get a little bit better with just you know over time. Trey Young is going to get better. The guy Capella, you know, they've got interesting pieces. And then of course, um, what what will Washington look like now that they're going to get John Wall back? Is he going to be you know who he once was with Bradley Beal and could they make any moves? So yeah, I mean, I don't think the East is like super scary as far as the Pacers make the playoffs or not, but uh, another team I guess I didn't talk about is Toronto because they've got a lot of question marks with Gasol, Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet being free agents this year. So well, Gasol's, Gasol's already gone too. Yeah, he's so going he's, to Spain. So, you know, they got to yep. bring back Ibaka and then Van Vliet, you know, I, I had thrown around the idea of maybe doing a sign and trade for Van Vliet and trading Turner to the to the Raptors now that we know Gasol is going to be gone, but nobody really liked the idea of Van Vliet and Brogdon here together just because there's not a lot of athleticism. But I just I just like smart guys that win basketball games, so that's kind of where I was going with. But yeah, I mean it's interesting. But the East, I mean the Pacers, we know they're not a championship roster right now, and I don't know if they'll ever will be. So that's why they have to really like to me like if they could hit on a number two pick and Anthony Edwards, like they could still compete. I think that with their current roster and Edwards as the as a shooting guard, they could still make the playoffs. And then maybe give him a couple years like they did with Paul George, 
you know, where he kind of emerged in his second year as that guy that third year he was, you know, going up against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's that's kind of where I think Pacer fans are at. They want to try to maybe find that next guy that could be a superstar and, and, and pretty young on a, on a nice contract. All right, I'm going to pitch you a completely wild <laughs> hypothetical. It has no basis in reality, but because you talked about pairing up Victor Oladipo and uh, Miles Turner in one trade for one player, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yes no, or no? No way. <laughs> we... I, I figured the answer was going to be no, but I was like, you know what? He makes about that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the salaries match up, and I think people in Indiana would actually like the way Russ plays. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, people talk a lot of crap about him just because it's easy to do and and everybody over blows the triple double season where he won MVP you know everybody always makes a big deal about it and I'm sure Rockets fans hated him when that happened because he stole one from from James Harden so to say but yeah I mean when it comes to Westbrook I mean if this is like Russell Westbrook three or four years ago I think you make that trade but if it's three or four years ago Westbrook I don't think that trade is even on the table so that's that's where we're at I mean (laughs) salary wise yes they match up Talent-wise, I just don't think it's a good fit. I make, you know, that makes a great deal of sense, and I, I, I don't think there's a market for Russ. He's not going to get moved. Um, you know, he and James Harden are going to play their remaining two years on their contracts here, and then when they get to those player options, um, you know, Rockets have a two-year window. They've got a two-year window and not a lot of flexibility to try and make something happen with two aging superstars. Um, you know, the uh, it, it does not look promising from you know from a Rockets lens, but I also have a lot of faith in Daryl Morey to uh, really swing for the fences and pull something off, even with a limited number of uh, draft assets and, and tradable assets in the roster. I'd imagine he's going to make something happen because um, he always does. You know, he's top five GM in the league, and I think that's kind of where I'm sitting at. Is you know, even if the Rockets uh, don't pull off necessarily a Miles Turner trade, they're going to do something this offseason to retool the roster and to be in you know as good of a position as possible at the start of this next season to remain competitive yeah and and it's funny because kevin pritchard came out and said that he thinks that while there might not nobody knows what the salary cap is going to be like he feels like there's going to be more trades this offseason than there has been in a while because that's the only way you're going to be able to get major roster shakeups because there's not going to be a ton of money to go out and sign players so i'm interested to see what happens but jackson I want to thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your insight. It was a lot of fun talking with you. This is our first time chatting, and we talked for almost 50 minutes. So, you know, that's what happens when you talk basketball. You can just do it forever. But uh, where can people find you at on Twitter, and what do you have coming out for Locked on Rockets? Absolutely. Well, you know, right now we're covering the – the, the Rockets head coaching search. And uh, actually, before I dive into that, I do appreciate being on here, Alex. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. it's really fun. I, you know, I, I love when people reach out and they're like, hey, you know, can you come on this sh- radio show? Can you come on this podcast, talk hoops? You know, it's it's what we're passionate about, right? You and I right. wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love doing it. And so I, I, I love being able to sit down and just have good hoops discussions like this. Um, but yeah, no, you can track me down. Uh, I do a lot of my damage on Twitter, so you can follow me there <laughs> at JT Gatlin if you want a uh, a Rockets lens or a Rockets scope on things. Uh, of course, there's the Locked On Rockets account, so at Locked On Rockets. Um, that's where I do my daily show five days a week. Uh, right now, we'll be downsizing a little bit to off season mode here shortly. Um, probably sometime around the NBA draft, we'll drop from five shows a week to three shows a week. Um, but coming up soon, you know, we're covering the the head coaching search just like you are over here. Uh, and past that, we're doing some season reviews for the, the players and just kind of uh, some hypothetical trades and just what direction the franchise is going to go. Is small ball here to stay? Is it going to go? Are they going to bring in a big to use for spot minutes? That kind of stuff. So if you're interested in anything Clutch City, you can check me out at those locations. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Had a great time. and We'll have to do it again soon. 
Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. I had a blast. Uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for another episode of Setting the Pace. Man, that was a long episode. I did not intend on it being that long, but I hope you guys made it all the way through. And if you took you a couple of days to get through it, hey, that's all right. So this will be our only podcast for the rest of the week as we've gone down to two podcasts a week. But we hope you guys enjoyed this lengthy episode. Make sure you let us know what you guys think about the podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Leave a rating and a review. And we will talk to y'all later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.